0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Amen, amen. Well, do this with me. I got to get into this word. I I want to share something with you that I've entitled, Becoming Vessels of Mercy. I want to talk to you about becoming a vessel of mercy. But before we get into the word, I know we've been praying, and there's been a lot of transitions and things that have been happening. But would you do it one more time? Would you stand with me? Can we pray just for two minutes that God would just touch this service, and he would anoint our time as we get into the word together? Sweet we anoint it. Father, we lift this up to you, Lord God. God, we come into this house, and Lord, as we're in worship, and I'm reminded, I'm reminded of David that came into a divided kingdom after Saul had fallen, and how he had to figure out how to unite everybody again, and, and fill people's hearts with the joy and the life of God, and, and the first thing he did is he went, and he got that Ark of the Covenant, and he brought it back. He brought the presence of God Back into the people of God, and he set up the Levites to be worshipers. And it was through the worship of the presence of God that the people had their hearts lifted up and there was unity amongst them again. God, I felt that this morning. I could see God, you doing it, bringing unity in our house, bringing a love for one another in our house, Lord God, touching our lives and building us in the strength of your spirit. And we thank you for that. But as we turn to the word now, God, we are asking that now you would give us spiritual direction. Our hearts are open. They're unified. They're filled with faith. But give us direction, God. What are you calling to us as your bride and as your church? And I'm not asking that you would just give the direction, Lord God, through just words itself or through commands or through indicatives. But Lord, you would give us, Lord God, the influences of the Spirit of God that would translate through the Word into our hearts that would cause us to take the steps of faith. It would cause us to take the steps that you are asking us to take in this journey with you. That the life of God and the anointing of God would touch the Word. God, we need a living Word today. Living Words. And a living word comes through the supernatural anointing of the Spirit of God. When you were to create the living of the Word in flesh, the Bible said you came upon Mary by the Spirit and by power, and you conceived the Word, the living Word inside of her. Man could not create it. Joseph could not create it. It had to come from the Spirit. And we are asking God, although we've done all the study, and we've looked into the Scriptures, and we prepared what we have today, we're asking, Holy Ghost, that you would overshadow with power again. And there would be a living word that would take hold of our hearts. There would be responses inside of us that would say, oh, I'm so hungry for Jesus. I came in feeling defeated, but I see him high and lifted up again. Victory. I see the victory of Christ. Let it be living today, Holy Spirit. We commit it to you now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. If you got your Bibles... Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT this morning. I'm just reading in the New Living Translation for for my yearly reading. I started a new Bible in the new year. We'll get into that in just a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know, I've been in a few conversations recently with a number of believers that have been asking me a lot of great questions about end time theology. Seems like ever since 2020 happened, there seems to be like this resurgence among believers to wanna know how the world is exactly gonna end and how Christ is ultimately gonna return. And in these conversations, I have been in discussions about who the antichrist might be. I have been in discussions about what the mark of the beast will ultimately look like. Everyone's real nervous about that. Does it come with a vaccine? I don't know. Everyone wants to know when we're going to be raptured. When exactly does the rapture happen? Is it like 2021? Do we have to wait a few more years? When is this going to take place? But let me read to you a scripture that actually tells us what the end times is going to look like. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-4, through I'll read it to you. It says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. and love pleasure rather than God. The Holy Spirit gives a really strong warning to the church here in 2 Timothy chapter three. He says this, He says, "In the last days, there will be very difficult times." And as you go on reading the rest of the verses, you begin to realize why it's going to be so difficult. Who? in the right mind would ever want to live in a world described like here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Living in a world where people are just lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, greedy for money, disobedient to parents. They have no self-control. They can't stop themselves from what they're doing. They're boasters. They're prideful. They won't listen to anybody. They hold nothing sacred and they're betrayer of friends. That, that sounds to me kind of terrible. But I began to realize, and I want you to understand this, that it isn't the sin and the people that are going to make the last days so difficult. But the Bible is actually getting at something much deeper than all of that. You know, if you watch the news today, I was thinking about this as I was driving in. If you watch the news today, even for 15 minutes, you begin to realize, wow, our nation, our society is starting to look a lot like 2 Timothy chapter 3. Right? Right? We have political leaders and political activists on both sides of the aisles, and they're on the media, and what are they doing? Well, they're slandering, they're gossiping. Many of them are just lying, both face lying. Well, they'll say things on the news broadcast that they won't say when they're under oath in, in a court. They, they won't do it. So they'll say it here, but they won't say it there, right? We have congressmen, we have senators that are making and arranging backroom deals now with lobbyists and all these these different Wall Street executives. And and why are they making the deals? So they can pass legislation. What is the legislation for? Feed their own greed. More money, more power, more influence, even at the expense of people who are really struggling. We saw clear as day in the coronavirus lockdowns. Again, we had bureaucrats, we had politicians. They got up. What did they say? You gotta shut down your businesses, right? You can't educate your kid anymore. Okay, what else? Can't go to church. You can't experience the presence of God. No, 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 that's not allowed, even though the scriptures say very clearly, No, 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 you can't abandon that. That that's part of being a believer, but he just says, No, 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 you can't do any of this. You can't have a funeral. You can't get married. You 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 can't bury your dead and you can't enjoy the events of your of your young ones as they come into new seasons of their lives. But when they wanted to go out to a dinner with some lobbyist friends, when they wanted to go get a haircut, when they wanted to go to their vacation home to put their boat in the water to spend time with their kids, suddenly the rules didn't seem to apply to them. And they never thought twice of what the hypocrisy might do to somebody else. It was only what was expedient in the moment. What they felt would benefit them. second Timothy says that they consider nothing sacred. That's strong language. Nothing? Nothing sacred. Not even the truth. You know what angered me the most with everything that we've walked through as a country? All summer long I watched. I literally watched as rioters went out into the streets and they were burning down buildings. Now, I get it. You might be saying, well, there was racial injustice or whatever was going on there. Okay, fine, whatever. That was private businesses. Those people had nothing to do with that stuff. And they're burning down buildings. They're burning up parking lots. They're going around and bashing cops on the heads with two-by-fours, throwing bricks at them that were left there by people in the upper echelon of society who don't want to get their hands dirty. Okay, and listen to me, and then the news broadcaster would get on the nightly news, and you know what they'd say? As the building is burning down in the background, they had the audacity to tell me this wasn't happening. This, this isn't burning. This is peaceful. This, this is not violent. And if you believe anything else, if you think any, you're part of a conspiracy theory that really doesn't understand what's happening in our nation. And I'm sitting there thinking in my mind, do they not realize I have eyes? Do they not realize I'm watching? I'm watching as the building burns? See, there's a spirit of this age that is consuming our nation. It is a spirit of anger, it is a spirit of violence, of division, and lawlessness. And here's the thing. The last days are not difficult because we're in the midst of like this perfect storm where all of our institutions are starting to fail. No, no, no. The last days are difficult, get this, because of what the selfishness and the lawlessness is doing inside of us. What it's doing inside of the church and what it's doing to the mission of Christ. Let me try to explain Turn with me to Psalm 145, and let me just read to you verse 8 and 9, something I was meditating on this week. And again, I'll be in the NLT, but let me read it to you. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone, and He showers compassion. On all his creation. See, this scripture, this passage, this this messed me up this last week as I was watching what was happening in our nation's capital. And as I read it and I was spending time with the Lord, I felt like the Lord and the Spirit of God began to prompt in me a remembrance. I began to remember the example of Christ when he was on the cross being crucified. And I began to think about how on the cross, he prayed. And he didn't just pray any prayer. You know the prayer he prayed? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, these are the people that stripped him naked. These are the people that ripped out his beard. These are the people that rejected him, spit on him. These are the religious leaders that were standing off in a distance and they were tempting him, saying, oh, you the son of God. Why don't you come down? You've done miracles for other people. Why don't you do it for yourself? Oh, if you do it, we'll all believe you. We'll believe. We'll follow you. And Jesus is sitting there and he is literally being stripped of all of his rights, the right to live. He's being stripped of all of his freedoms. He is literally a mockery in front of everybody. And he is praying for the very people that nailed him to the cross. He's praying for the very people that are in the process of casting the lots for his last garment. He's I was just sitting there thinking about that, suddenly the Holy Spirit began to prompt in my heart the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen, who was looking up to heaven as people were gathering all around him to stone him. And the Bible says that he was praying for the very people who were in the process of killing him. And what was his prayer? This is amazing. It was the same prayer as Christ. The same exact prayers. The Spirit of God was there in the midst of that stoning. He begins to pray out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As I was reading in Psalm 145, and the Holy Spirit was reminding me of the examples of Christ and the examples of Stephen, you know what I began to realize? As if I'm an idiot, and sometimes I am, I'm allowed to call myself that. You can't call me that. My wife can. She's got a few other names. But you know what I began to realize? Our God is an incredibly merciful God. Our God is incredibly filled with forgiveness and grace and kindness. Far beyond what we've even experienced in our own Christian journeys with him up to this point. Far beyond what we can actually imagine, even with our little pea brain brains trying to figure out who our God is. And here's the thing. It is God's heart, even in the midst of judgment. Someone asked me about judgment. Even in the midst of judgment, it is God's heart to pour out his incredible mercy even on the most wicked people. On people that are unjust, on people that are exploiting others, on people that are lying, on people that are power hungry. Do you realize this morning that it's God's heart to even save many of our political leaders on both sides of the aisle? On both sides. That it's God's heart to pour out his grace and his goodness even in the midst of judgment on people who are marginalizing the church. People who are tearing down the institutions with their own hands and then turning around and pointing to you and me and saying the reason that everything's on fire, the reason that everything's a mess is because of you. I tore it down, but it's your fault. You're the reason that this is all happening. You speak the truth. You're intolerant. You don't love the way we want to love, but, but I know how to love the way you don't know how to love. I burn this down. I take away your livelihood. I leave you there with nothing. Then I've shown you my love. And I'm not trying to make a mockery of it. I'm not trying to pin it one way or the other. On the other side, they say, well, you were racially unjust, so we felt unloved, and we now we're pent up, and now we got this rage, and now all the. I get it. I get it. I understand. But even for all of that, God still wants to pour out his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness on those that are in the streets on both sides that are doing this stuff. All those people that are stealing, all those exploiters, God actually weeps for them. He weeps for them. Not only does he weep for them, he doesn't desire any one of them. Not one have to experience the very fires of hell. Not one. See, I began to think about my own heart. I began to think about all my anger, my frustration, how so many in this nation are now making choices and they're acting out in lawlessness. And listen to me, their choices and their lawlessness is now affecting me. It's now affecting my kids. It's now affecting the ones that I love. It's taking away freedoms that I once had. It's allowing people with agendas to get into places that they shouldn't be. It's affecting me. And I asked myself, this is what I asked myself. Can I pray for them the way Jesus and Stephen prayed for those that were in the process of stoning and crucifying? Can I pray for them? Can I, can I honestly cry out and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're under a spirit of this age. I'm not saying there's not judgment on their lives. I'm not saying God isn't going to rectify accounts. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying their flesh and the devil have them utterly blind. Can I lift them up in prayer the way Jesus and Stephen did? Do I really understand and possess the mercy, the kindness, the forgiveness of God? Am I a vessel of mercy to other people? When I see what happened at our Capitol this last week, does it drive me to my face in prayer while I'm praying for all parties involved? I'm praying for the politicians, to be honest, who pushed us to this point, and that's what we ended up with. I'm praying for those that are going in there shirtless and with some type of goat head on top of their heads. I'm I'm praying for the police that are in the midst of the battle. Am I praying for them honestly, saying, for all parties, God, all parties, show grace. Even if we're in judgment, oh, God, open up their eyes. Show them what they're doing. I was as blind as they were. I was as blind as them. I would have been in there, storming the Capitol, acting in lawlessness, or on the other side, accusing everybody else of something that's going on in the nation. That was me. And God had mercy on me. God opened up my eyes. I didn't go and find God. Let me tell you something. God found me. I didn't even want God. And he reached down out of heaven. He saved my life. He cleaned me up. He gave me a new heart. He put his spirit inside of me do I have any right to look at them and wish judgment on them when God showed mercy to me? I'm not saying there's not judgment. I'm not saying that God won't bring it down on this nation. I'm not even telling you whether or not we're in the season of judgment, but I'm telling you even in the midst of judgment, God says there is mercy. Yeah. I never bring judgment without mercy. Mercy. Do I pray like that when I see an event like that unfold this last week? Or is this going to be convicting for everybody? Ready for this? Or do I jump on Facebook and I start all the comments about how stupid everybody is and they're getting what they deserve? I'm being honest. Maybe I'm speaking to someone at home through the live stream. What is our real response when we see something like that happen? Do we really have the heart of God? See, I came out of Wednesday night prayer. Man, was it a powerful prayer meeting Wednesday night. God met us. God was gracious to us. But I came out of Wednesday night, and I got to be honest. I got up here, and I led all of you to to pray for our enemies, pray for those that are hurt and persecuted. I I did all that, and I went home. You know what I said to the Lord? I'm here, totally honest. I can't love them the way you love them. Not you. Although some of you are tough sometimes, too, and I'm learning that. But... And I'm tough. We're all learning to love each other. But I'll be honest, I can't love them the way you love them. I can't show mercy. I can't care about their souls the way you care about them. And and my question to the Lord was, how do I get to a place of anger and hurt, to a place of forgiveness and mercy and compassion? Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to get up here and not speak the truth. Jesus spoke the truth. We all speak the truth. I'm not saying get rid of the truth and say the truth is gone. But when we speak the truth, what is the heart of it? Is it our heart that God would wake you up, that you would come into the fold of God? Or do we just want to prove our point and heap the condemnation and the issue on you? Do we want to make you? What is the point of the truth, if nothing more, to open up hearts and to save souls? How do I get to that place? Was my question. And let me just tell you this if the church doesn't get to that place in this generation, we will lose the opportunity to see revival. We're going to lose it. Because let me tell you something God doesn't work through the spirit of this age. If we are of that spirit, the spirit of God cannot flow the way he desires in our churches, in our city, in our nation. We are the vessels. Do you want to know what we are? We are the mercy in judgment. That's what the church is. We are the light. And there's a certain spirit that we need to be able to walk in for the Holy Ghost to be able to flow and to bring his purposes on this earth. We have to literally engage with another set of rules than the world. And if we miss it, if we don't conform, if we don't deal with the issues in our heart, if we hold on to bitterness, if we hold on to biases... If that's what we hold on to, I'm telling you, revival will have to tarry. It will be another generation, if there's a generation that's left. Let me show you what one of my old pastors used to say. He he used to say this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is what he said. He said, God will fight against the spirit of this age, but not with fire. Not with violence. Not with railing and slandering, but with a spirit of love, compassion, and mercy. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. You're wondering how he's gonna reach this generation? That's the plan. That was the plan of Jesus when he walked this earth. That was the plan of the apostles when they were behind him. How many times did the disciples come up to him when he was outside of Samaria, wherever he was at after they rejected him, said, call down fire. Call down. Hey, you want me to call down fire? As if they could even call down fire. You want us to take him out? And what did Jesus say? You don't know the spirit that you're of. That's up my heart. Didn't mean that Jesus stopped speaking the truth. He spoke some hard things, especially to the religious leaders. But he also prayed prayers like, it was my desire to gather you up like chicks under the wing of a hen, but you wouldn't have it. And he wept for Jerusalem. He wept for the religious system. He wept for the people that were coming under judgment. In my prayers, I asked God a question I regretted later on. Anyone ever do that before? Do you ever ask God something to think in your mind, what the heck was I thinking? Why did I ask that? I was good when I was blind and foolish and ignorant. (laughs) I asked him a question I regretted later on. This was my question. What's the answer? How do I become a vessel of mercy? How do I do it? How, How do I get to a place where I love people who are in the process of destroying my life and stripping away my freedoms? How do I leave a church into that type of mercy? How do we get to a people and become a people that are overflowing with grace, overflowing with forgiveness, overflowing with kindness, even to the others that are persecuting us? And make no mistake about it, we have now crossed the line. This is persecution at this point. And if you don't believe me, and I'm going to say this honestly, many in this room, even myself possibly one day, we're going to experience things in the up and coming years where you might lose your job for your beliefs. I might be told I can't preach certain messages and even been threatened with fine. Don't think that's not coming. And what do I do when somebody does that? How do I show grace? How do I show mercy? How do I show love? Speaking the truth, but weeping for their souls. And God gave me the answer by reminding me of the book of Jonah. You know, I always read the book of Jonah, and I thought it was a nice little story about dealing with the consequences of running away from God's will, running away from God's calling. But as God reminded me of this, I kind of went through the book, and I kind of uh, brushed up on my my jonah ease, to say the least. I went through everything, just looking over Jonah again. You know, I began to realize it's not just a book about suffering the consequences of running away from the will of God. It's actually a book that is an unvarnished journal entry. It it is a man pouring out his heart through his own diary where he's honestly confessing his own struggle to be a vessel of mercy to other people. That's what the book, if you get to the root of it, that's what the whole book is actually about. See, Jonah, you have to understand, was a powerful, powerful prophet in the nation of Israel. And God was calling him to go down to the city of Nineveh and to go preach to them and tell them in 40 days the Lord was going to send judgment. And God said, I want you to go down there and I want you to warn them of what's going to happen. But you have to understand, Nineveh was the bitter enemy of Israel, Nineveh wanted to destroy Israel and they were doing everything they could, the Assyrians and the city of Nineveh, to try to strip them away of their financial security. They were blocking all their trade routes, right? They were trying to take away their ability to worship their God. They wanted that to stop. They wanted to take away the peace in their own nation. And it sounds like, listen to me, it sounds like a lot of the political leaders and political agendas and the lobbyists that we're dealing with in our own country right now. they want to tear the constitution up and then they want to take anything anything that is left of a godly heritage in our nation they want to remove it they want to get it out they want to they want to pressure wash it all away And Jonah grows up. He grows up in this environment where there's a bias that's beginning to form in his heart. There's a bitter root that's forming inside of him. This bias and this bitterness that says that there's certain people that are deserving of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, and there's others who are not. Especially our enemies that are taking away our worship of God and taking away our national identity. They do not deserve God's mercy. And Jonah knew, he knew, and you could go through and read it later. He knew At the very foundation of this call was a desire for God to show grace and compassion on mercy on the Ninevites. He knew if he went there and he warned them and they got on their face and they began to repent that God would wash them clean. That God would forgive them, that God would show grace to them. That God would accept them freely. He understood that that's why he ran he didn't run because he didn't like the assignment he ran because these people were his own enemies these were the ones taking away his freedoms these were the ones taking away his rights and he ran from God he ran from the call because he didn't want to have to go there and see mercy come on in any of them he didn't want grace to be able to touch the city he just wanted them to come under the judgment of God And here's the interesting part. Let me read it to you. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. And then I'll read verse 15 through 17. And then we'll close. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord, I love that, the Lord Hurled a powerful wind over the sea Causing a violent storm That threatened to break the ship apart Fearing for their lives The desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help And threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship But all this time Jonah was sound asleep Down in the hold Verse 15 Then the sailors picked Jonah up And threw him into the raging sea And the storm stopped at once The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power And they offered him a sacrifice And vowed to serve him Verse 17, now the Lord, not, not happenstance, not circumstance, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now listen to me, because this is the most important part of the sermon. I, I want to speak it just as honestly from my heart as I can. For the longest time, I thought God raised up this storm and raised up this fish to deal with Jonah's disobedience and rebellion. That's what I thought it was all about. But again, as I was rereading it, I began to realize that God actually raised this fish and he raised this storm. He raised up a trial, listen to this, to soften Jonah's heart. He raised up a trial that he brought Jonah in ultimately to conform him into a place where he would operate out of the tender mercies of God to other people. See, there's nothing like a storm in life that begins to awaken us to the mercy of God. There's nothing like a storm in life or a big fish or a big trial that begins to show us how much we need his forgiveness, how much we need his grace, to show us how weak we really are, even in our own strength, or our own flesh, and to be, give, us, give us some type of empathy for other people who don't actually have that. See, here's the thing. Jonah was going to get a trial in his life, whether he went directly to Nineveh or he got in the boat and he ran away. There was a trial that was going to come. Either way he went because God had to deal with the man's heart. The heart wasn't right before God. The spirit that he was going to speak wasn't right before God. God didn't just send the ship to get him in the proper direction. God didn't just send the fish to try to swallow him up to get him out of his rebellion. God was trying to work something into the man's heart. And as I'm praying this prayer, God, what's the answer? How do we move from a place of anger? How do we move from a place of hurt where we move to mercy and compassion and love even in the midst of judgment? Not giving up truth. We speak the truth. But we weep as we literally speak it for the lives of other people. How do we get to that place? And I began to realize, listen to this, God is already doing it in his church. You know what he's doing? He sent a few trials our way sent a few big fish our way. I've talked with many of you, and you would say, listen, I I walked through some heavy stuff in my walk with the Lord, but this last year or last two years, I have come into seasons of trials unlike anything I've ever experienced before. You would honestly say, man, I... I'm dealing with things in my family. You think the world out there is divisive? My family is so divided. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what. where did this all end up. There's some that are literally dealing with sickness. We've been praying for healing and you've been walking through it, but you're saying, why am I still going through this? There's some that have come under temptation like they've never known. Where they literally have walked in freedom, sometimes 20, 30 years with God, and suddenly something that they had victory over, there's a temptation. They've even fallen into sin, and they've confessed it, and they've repented. But the question is, why? Why, God? Why is this all coming on me? Are you mad at me? Is there a displeasure from you? Are you angry in some way? What is this all about? And what we're not realizing is that God is using the trial to preserve our hearts so that we would not fall under the spirit of this age. He's using the trial so that the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God is right there in front of our face. And we're not forgetting where we really came from. We're not forgetting who we truly are. We're not forgetting how weak we are in ourselves so that it would produce in us a spirit of tenderness, a spirit of empathy, a spirit of love. When we pray, when we intercede, when we evangelize, when we share with our neighbors. God's using the trial. This is what I never saw, Jonah. And he's trying to work and conform something into us. And you want to know why he's doing it? You want to know, and and you better be careful because this is true, because you prayed for it without even knowing it. You prayed that dumb prayer we all prayed, God use me. Wrong move. If you're just coming to the Lord now, don't pray that prayer. You prayed the prayer, God, send revival to our generation. Wrong move. Wrong move. Because when you start praying those prayers, God takes it seriously. He says, yeah, I'm going to answer them. But the only way I can answer it is I preserve a heart of mercy inside of you. And the way I'm going to do it is I have to send a few trials your way so that it works a tenderness into your spirit when you speak to other people. Listen to me, you, you and I, all of us, there's a day we're going to literally face Antifa face-to-face. And listen, Antifa, if you're watching on the, the radio here, when you get saved, you're going to face police officers face-to-face. We're all going to face our enemies face-to-face. It's going to happen. And when they start coming into the church, and they start bowing down at the altar, and we begin to pray that God would touch their lives and fill them with their spirit, oh, God forbid they get up from an altar, and we begin to give a finger in their face and say, now, now let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me tell you what you cost me and my family. Oh, we better have patience and mercy. We better give them the same mercy and patience that God gave us when we first got saved. To grow, to learn the things of God. To be reorientated by the Spirit of the Lord. Not just throwing on them all these things that we think they need to become so that they can be accepted in our midst. And God's saying, if I'm going to have a church like that, because that is the only answer for this generation. That is it. If I'm going to have a church like that, then I have to preserve a heart of mercy. Not that we don't speak truth. Not that we don't tell it like it is, because it is. But in our hearts, they recognize they're for me. They're not against me. They want to see me thrive. I see the heart of God in his church. see Jonah's a sad book you want to know why because at the end of his three days of preaching throughout that city of Nineveh he should have walked up that hillside which you which the book ends at you know what he should have done he should have fell on his face to God and said God now be merciful to these people I was in a think about this you just came from a belly in a fish because of your own rebellion you just experienced the grace of God. You're literally, they say, most people don't realize this, that, that literally when Jonah went to the city, he was probably bleached white from the digestive enzymes in the body of the fish. No one thinks about that. He had no hair. That was all God. Th- this guy walks in and God preserves his life. He should have been on that hillside. Show mercy to them the way you show mercy to me. Forgive them the way you forgave me. Show grace to them the way you show grace to me. But he never does it. He sits there just waiting for the judgment of God. I just want to see it happen. And he has more compassion for a plant, more empathy for a plant than a city filled with people. And at the end of all of it, you know what Jonah does? He sits down at the very last volume of his book, and you know what he's really writing? This is what he's really saying. Don't end up like me. God brought the storms in my life. He brought the fish in my life. But I was unwilling to let go of the bitterness. I was unwilling to let go of the bias. I was unwilling to let go of the spirit of this age. I wanted to operate like that instead of the spirit of God's kingdom. And you know what he's saying? Don't be like me. When God brings the storms because he's doing something inside of us, release the bitterness. Release the bias. Let it go to him and surrender it. Call out to him. Call it what it is. Be truthful that it is not his kingdom. It's not his kingdom. It's not how the rules of engagement work in his kingdom. His kingdom is flipped upside down. It's opposite from that. Stand with me, church. My heart's not mad at you. I know I get spitty and yelly and all these types of things, but I'm not mad at you. I'm not, you know what? I'm more excited because God's given me. I'm wondering what the plan is. He's starting to give me the plan. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. He's saying, I'm bringing revival, but there's something I got to do in my church first. They need to be refreshed in my mercy again. They need to be refreshed in my grace again. They need to be refreshed in my forgiveness again. And you know what this whole sermon is about? We're not done doing spiritual warfare for our nation. We're not done doing spirit. But this is a heart check to make sure we're doing it in the right spirit. That's what this sermon, God is saying, time out, time out, time out, time out. Let's check your hearts. Let's make sure, because you could be praying the right prayers in the wrong spirits, and I'm telling you, listen to me, it's a closed door to heaven. It's only the right prayers in the right spirit that God begins to pour out and move. And this, this is what I'm going to ask. It's going to be bold today. And if you don't feel comfortable, never let Pastor Michael tell you to do something you don't feel comfortable with, unless it's the word of God and you need to repent of something or whatever. But if you feel comfortable this morning and you say, you know what, I got to deal with a root of bitterness. After this week and what I saw at this Capitol, I'm angry at somebody. I'm fr- and it's not a righteous anger. And you know it. You know it, and you say, I got to deal with this root inside of me. I want you to come forward to this altar, and we're going to deal with it as a family of God together. We're going to ask God to root it out. We're going to ask God to cleanse us. We're going to ask God in his mercy to refresh us again with his loveness, his kindness, his grace, his goodness. You come up. I want you to come up, and we're going to pray together. We're going to lift it up to God with one another. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.